Hey, it's Caitlin. Hey, it's Abigail. Welcome Welcome to to The Gutsy Gutsy Truth. We believe that change is easier when you are not alone. Through practical advice, personal stories, and expert insights, we offer strategies, empowerment, and a supportive community for you to turn to for guidance and motivation on your journey to living your best life. Let's dive in. Kedrin Crosby holds a master's degree in policy science from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and a graduate level certificates in nonprofit studies from the John Hopkins University and conflict resolution from Notre Dame. She has completed graduate coursework in organizational behavior at Harvard University and is a certified practitioner of emotional intelligence. Kedrin has written and presented extensively on burnout, work-life integration, authentic leadership, organizational culture, organizational conflict management, and communication best practices. She is also the co-author of the book, Authentic Communication in the Workplace, and the creator of the podcast, The Behavioralist. She is the founder of Work Wisdom, a B corporation which enhances the performance of leaders and teams who are seeking to make the world a better place. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Gutsy Truth. We are thrilled to introduce you to our new friend, Kedrin Crosby, and she is the founder and owner of a company called Work Wisdom. So welcome to The Gutsy Truth. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. So fun fact, Kedrin and I met a couple weeks ago at a conference. She was a keynote speaker and also hosted this pre-conference event that was called um, Winning at Work as Women. And I had the joy to sit in in that session and just absolutely loved everything that she had to say. And from that moment, I was like, okay, we need to get her on the podcast. And she um, said yes. And so we're just so thrilled to have you here today. Um, And so as we kick things off, we'd love to hear what is your story? What got you to start um, Work Wisdom? We'd love to kind of hear all about you. Okay. Wow. Well, I uh, I think probably the most important part of the story is that um, my father worked very hard. And as a little girl, I watched my dad almost be a workaholic. And so as I was growing up, I kept on thinking, is there a way to do work in a balanced way um, where you can have work-life integration, and you can uh, have joy in all the facets of your life, and you can accomplish big things, but in a more measured way. And so I was always pretty fascinated with this idea of um, how do we have incredible achievements? How do we be world changers and do good things, um, but also have balance. Uh, so that that's sort of the way, way long story, um, you know, growing up as a little girl. And then uh, throughout my career, I kept on studying things that were pointing me in the direction of helping people to have balance and high achievement in their work. And so I have a variety of degrees um, in my undergrad is actually political science, but then studied urban policy, nonprofit leadership, uh, conflict resolution, organizational behavior, just kept going back to school to learn more about how to be helpful to world changers. So um, in 1996, I started a company called Crosby Consulting, where I was working just in Baltimore And just with nonprofit leaders and boards, helping them become the best version of themselves. Um, And so 
eventually I expanded to work wisdom, which was, uh, which is focused on much more than the nonprofit sector. Um, and work wisdom, we began that in 2015. And so that's got a focus that's all on positive organizational behavior. So these are the mindsets, the habits, the behaviors, um, the communication practices, the cultures that get you to both high performance and joy. I love that. I think I feel like so often those are the things that kind of come second in a business, right? Like a business is started to solve a problem. Here's the product we're producing or the service that we're offering. But the basic communication, the basic, um, you know, just self-awareness, the basic leadership skills, like those are the things that I feel like often need to come first um, in growing a business and leading people. And so I just, I'm so thankful to, you know, your work to prioritize this and be able to serve and support people who, who are, are looking for that um, support in growing a business and being leaders and, and changers in the world, like you were saying. So this is all such great information. So at Work Wisdom, like what are, um, what are some of the the key things that you are trying to to solve with the people that you're working with? Well, you know, people come to us for a variety of reasons. You know, half of half of uh, the reason why people come to us is they're in some sort of pain, so they're suffering in some way. We have um, quite a lot of clients who are experiencing burnout when they come to us because we have a track record of really helping people recover from burnout. So we have a lot of people who are in pain that are coming to us, but then we also have this other half, which are people who are extremely high performers that are just trying to figure out how to be even higher performing. And so they want to understand the neuroscience of, um, you know, the happiness advantage, um, you know, how how we can use positive psychology to go farther faster. So I would say those are the two groups, those in pain um, and then those who are high performers who are seeking to become even better version versions of themselves. Uh, we also have individuals that come to us, typically leaders. And then we have teams that come to us as well. And then we have entire organizations. Um, we have a fourth group now that's communities. So sometimes communities will even come to us and say, how do we use uh, the knowledge of positive organizational behavior to flourish as a community? So um, so so those are the those are the buckets, uh, you know, individuals, teams, organizations, or even communities. And sometimes they're in pain, uh, but sometimes they're not in pain and they just want to be extraordinary. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are some common misconceptions in the workplace when it comes to leadership or, or building culture within an organization? There's been one that's been quite pervasive over the last couple of years, um, which is this idea of uh, family culture. So in our field of organizational uh, behavior, there are lots of different frameworks for understanding organizational culture. And there's one from University of Michigan that I particularly love, which is called the competing values framework. And in short, it says, you know, there are basically four types of culture. You can be 
very innovative, um, very flexible, very externally focused, and that's an adhocracy. You can be internally focused and uh, flexible, and that's called a family culture. Uh, and it's very forgiving. It's more slow moving, very collaborative. You've got hierarchy, which is internally focused and very stable, doesn't change very much. And we all know about hierarchy. And then we've got market culture, which is externally focused. What's happening in the marketplace? Where are there vacuums? How can we step in? How can we get there first? Um, but fairly stable. And so that's called market culture. So uh, over the last couple of years, for a variety of reasons, probably the great resignation had a lot to do with it. There's been this shift to thinking the right kind of culture is family culture, that every culture really needs to emulate, you know, high collaboration and, and uh, you know, almost uh, excessive forgiveness, I will mm -hmm. say, to the point of lack of accountability. Um, and I think for some reasons, uh, you know, that's because leaders are afraid of losing staff. So um, that's that's a, been a problem in the last year or so, We because what we're seeing is excessive burnout from leaders who are trying to almost parent <laughs> in this family culture. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's causing them to burn out 71 percent of leaders are currently feeling burned out and even looking for a job that uh, has less stress. So some of it is because they're trying to embody this type of culture that may not actually be the appropriate type of organizational culture for their company. Hmm. Um, so anyhow, that's one of that's the one of the problems that I think is really undergirding other problems right now. Why do you think that people are shifting towards that family structure of an organization? And what was it before? Like, do you, was it the pandemic and the great resignation or yeah. How did that shift occur from what you've been seeing? Yeah. Well, I think it was a confluence of a few things that came together. And um, I think one point is the great resignation. And we thought that there was a lot of data coming out of the great resignation you know, people were leaving. 52% of uh, of the workforce was looking for another job. And so <laughs> McKinsey actually did some really great research to say, why are people leaving and where are they going to? And um, one of their most interesting findings was that people were saying they wanted to leave transactional workplaces where they felt like they were just treated like a commodity. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to go to relational workplaces where they felt cared for, mm -hmm. um, where people, you know, were worried about their well-being, um, where they felt um, they had true relationships uh, with their colleagues and, and with their leaders. And so a lot of leaders listened to that and said, oh, my goodness, OK, we need to shift in the direction of becoming more relational at work. And so um, I think that was that was a big part of why we've got this shift towards family culture is people are leaders are trying to be attractional. They're trying to attract talent. And uh, one way that they're doing that is by trying to be uh, relational. Now, the downside of that, of course, is the the burnout. 
you know, they maybe weren't equipped to be friend, therapist, parent, you know, all the things that a lot of leaders are trying their best to be right now, but they still have to run a company. They still have to worry about profit. Um, So I think that there's also been some leadership gurus that have been advocating quite a bit for, for this shift. Um, you know, the, the popularity of Brene Brown, she's a Texan, like y'all, right? (laughs) Yeah, we love her too. Um, but you know, her, her background is social work. Mm. And so the type of cultures that she's advocating for look more like that family culture. So Mm. there's a lot of, uh, a lot of that emphasis. And so I think that's also pushing in that direction. I, I don't think the answer is to not have relational cultures. I think the answer is for leaders to understand more clearly um, who is coachable, uh, who is aligned with their values and the values of the organization so that they can invest appropriately. So rather than just sort of carte blanche investing in everyone um, trying to be more, uh, regulated about who are they pouring themselves into? Um, we've got a joke here at work wisdom, which is, do you want to make soup for that person on a Saturday? Am I going to make soup for that person? Or, or is this person not someone I need to make soup for, you know, (laughs) this idea of, yes, we want to pour into our colleagues, but not everybody all the time. Right. So, yeah. (laughs) No, maybe, so, maybe not that part. This making the soup part. It's a little weird, but no, no, no. Yeah. it's I, Got it? okay. Yeah, it's totally relatable. And I listened, so I listened to your uh, podcast episode about organizational burnout, um, at, like a couple of weeks ago, which was really fascinating. And yeah. I love, like, I like how you say that the leaders are trying to figure out who aligns with their values. Because I um, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of in one section of that episode, you talked about how there was such a disconnect from an organizational burnout between say the key stakeholders or your board of directors or however your company is structured versus the CEO versus the C-suite team versus the managers versus the, the daily employees. Like everyone, like you had talked about, like what was, um, like if you go to each of those groups, ask them like, what is the purpose of this company? What values, what are the values and the mission of this company? And everyone had different answers based off of like their different ranking per se. And so I think that's really interesting that you say that like with that family one, it's almost like the the family structure becomes the key value, right? Oh, we're it's such a family atmosphere, you know, we all hang out together and do stuff together, but then the work side of it like totally drops off and no one knows how to put that back in, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, moderation in all things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, what we are, we're trying to figure out, you know, having some frameworks. So, you know, we believe first we build our knowledge, and then we let that seep into our awareness. So, our awareness is when we're conscious of something, and mm-hmm. we can say, "Oh, it's like that framework. It's that's like family culture. Um, I can see us doing that now." You know, and then once we have the awareness and we're conscious of it, it's so much easier to change behavior. Yes. Um, so, so everything that happens at Work Wisdom, whether it's individual executive coaching or team coaching or team workshops or even organizational culture shaping, it really follows that, okay, let's grow some knowledge. And so we understand some frameworks. 
And then, oh, we can see ourselves doing that now mm-hmm. and we're, we're conscious of it. And then we can choose a behavior that's going to better serve us. Um, your point about values just uh, can't be uh, overestimated. You know, the alignment of values is critical and understanding what these deeply held beliefs are that are guiding our behavior and uh, what we want them to be. So current values and aspired values that we haven't grown into yet. But if we think about behavior, we can we can say, okay, you know, what are we going to stop doing? So we live into that behavior. What are we going to start doing? Uh, and then we can just live ourselves into a new way of being. So, you know, you talk about that alignment. What happens when you can't get your team in alignment? Like their values aren't they say they, they they have these values, but their behaviors don't match that. Like, what do you do as a leader to to navigate that? Yeah, that, that, that's an excellent question. Um, we have some episodes on this topic. And uh, if people are interested in understanding more on this topic, they might want to listen to, I feel like I'm selling. You know, no, you're the, good. The talent, it's free. Wait, there's um, a reason the, we wanted our listeners to meet you. This is great. <laughs> So we have a podcast episode called Talent Density, which is about how do you get uh, a robust team um, that's uh, not, uh, you know, diffuse in terms of their talent, but is as uh, clear uh, about their values and about their behaviors as possible. And we have another episode called Conscious Uncoupling at Work. Hmm. So it's what happens when we need to go our separate ways, no harm, no foul. Um, But this wasn't meant to be (laughs) just like Gwyneth Paltrow uh, when she had consciously uncoupled. Um, So, so, but I think that there are things you can do even before um, you need to think about uncoupling. I think that coaching is really critical. Internal coaching is really critical. So uh, something that has concerned me over the last year or two is as part of this um, maybe shift towards family culture, as part of uh, this worry that we're losing our staff, I'm seeing leaders be less clear in their communication. Hmm. And so they are uh, maybe being a little a little muddy in how they communicate values, um, expectations, um, no longer unapologetically leading, but, oh, well, if, you know, it's okay if you want to do it that way. Um, so, so really the, the solution is to be crystal clear. Mm -hmm. And so as leaders learning how to own our power, um, and recognize that it can be used well, um, by being very clear, clear about what winning is, for this team, a clear statement of winning, um, a clear statement of what our values are uh, and what they aren't, and you know what's at the top, but also what's at the bottom. Uh, a clear statement of what behaviors are expected um, and what's not expected here. Um, the reality is that culture is what's tolerated, and so whatever whatever is happening and it's not being corrected 
that's what culture becomes. Hmm. And so leaders need to be very clear. Culture is what is tolerated. Culture is what is rewarded, even if it's not conscious. Um, And so they just need to be really clear. So you can coach your team uh, when there's misalignment on values. You can coach that person and you can say, you know what? These are our values. And this is how we live into these values. These are our behaviors. And we believe uh, that you can also live into these values. Here's where the gap is between what we need and your current behavior. Tell me how you're going to close that gap. I want to hear how you're going to close that gap. Um, You know, if it's the first time you're talking to someone, you can say, how are we going to close this gap? You know, bringing compassion. How are we going to close this gap? And and then I think it's the role of the leader to be very quiet (laughs) and just listen and hear what their ideas are about how they want to close that gap uh, to live into those values. So it it really depends on how egregious (laughs) the value is that they're not living into. Mm -hmm, Um, Something around integrity. Yeah, that's pretty important. Um, But maybe there's something that's, maybe there's something that that can be interpreted in a variety of ways. Yeah. So having the conversation. Yeah, no, that that's all really, really helpful. Um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about culture and values. Um, I would love to hear like what what is some really valuable leadership advice that with today's culture and the workplace now, like that you think is really people really need to hear right now. I think uh probably the most important leadership advice. I can offer is to learn how to be trustworthy, to learn what trust really is, and um, to learn how it's eroded, uh, the science of it, the neuroscience of it, and and how to repair it. I think if there's one important leadership capability right now, it's that you know we we have so little trust in um, in the workplace right now. And so, uh, a lot of people don't trust their employers. They don't trust their managers. Uh, they don't trust their organizations. Um, so I think that learning how to build trust is really important. Do you think that was an issue pre pandemic and then that with the pandemic just got heightened or, did it become an issue throughout the pandemic and so much uncertainty in so many ways for people? Unfortunately, it was an issue before the pandemic. Um, there's a, a study, an annual study called the Edelman Trust Barometer. Okay. And so it's studying trust um, at four different levels. It studies how much do we trust government? How much do we trust media? How much do we trust business and how much do we trust the civil sector, the, the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been declining pretty much annually since the eighties. Wow. And so, um, however, I COVID definitely exacerbated it and, um, and sped it up. So, um, yeah, so that, I think that's the answer is yeah. Trust we're, we're losing trust in, sort of the social fabric. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so 
if leaders can learn how to be trustworthy, they can they can have an, an incredible followership. <laughs> you know, if you think about what leadership is by mm-hmm. definition, do you have people who follow you? Right. You know, yeah. I mean, we don't have to be the boss. You don't even have to have direct reports. But if you are influential and people listen to you and they take your ideas seriously, you're a leader. Yeah. So um, if you can be trustworthy uh, and people trust you, they trust your judgment, um, they trust your authenticity, they trust your empathy, you can you can do a lot of leading mm-hmm. uh, and, and accomplish a lot of good in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. I really like, I, I know since, we're, since I'm talking to Texans, I feel like I should talk about Brene Brown, but um, yeah. I love Bre- Brene Brown's braving work, of course, yeah. around trust. Um, but I also love uh, someone, uh, you know, across the pond in, in England at Oxford University, her name's Rachel Botsman, and she's a trust fellow <laughs> at oh, wow. Oxford. She's spending her career studying trust. And so she defines trust as a confident relationship with the unknown. Mm. Do you have a con? I know. That's that's really cool. I I know. So when I think, okay, do I trust my vice president? Can I have a confident relationship with the unknown? Can I let him carry me into the future mm-hmm. um, with his skills? I, I think about when my son was about a year old and I had him in swim classes and he would stand on the side of the pool and I would be in the deep end and he would just jump right into my arms. Mm-hmm. And he had a confident relationship with the unknown mm-hmm. water. Yeah. That I was not going to let him drown, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so. So I I love that. I love uh, Frances Free's work. She's at Harvard Business School, and she really has dug into trust and and sees um, that there are three drivers of trust that also erode trust. And it's called the trust triangle. I'm not sure she calls it that. Maybe we just call it that. But (laughs) it's, uh, you know, is a person authentic? Is a person, do they have solid logic or judgment? Um, And do they have empathy? Mm. And if there's a wobble, that's her word. If there's a wobble on any of those three, trust will erode. Mm. But the beauty is that we can stabilize our trust wobbles and then we can repair trust. So it's not binary. It's not, yes, I trust someone or no, I don't. It's to what degree mm-hmm. and can I repair that trust? Yeah. Wow. That's, I feel like not only very valuable for leaders to understand as they're whatever, you know, whether they're leading a whole company or just a division, um, but even as employees to understand, because you need to trust your fellow employees, you yes. know, the marketing person needs to trust the events person who needs to trust the accounting person. And like, cause everyone has a piece of their puzzle that they're doing for the greater good of the company. And so it's interesting to put that in perspective of like literally anybody you would work with in your company and not just you versus your leader or leadership versus their employees, but everyone within each other. Um, yeah. Cause it, it's almost like 
you know, if there's one bad apple, so to speak, if someone doesn't trust out of the whole group, then there's a wobble (laughs) to use your term. And then you're not on firm foundation. Yeah. And then it just builds upon there. So it's real. Oh, that's fascinating to think of it from that perspective. And I also just like, Oh, uh, the analogy of like that triangle too, I think is a really good visual. And it's not just the black and white of, do I trust this person or do I not? Right. You know, there's, there's different factors that play that I think just visually having that triangle, like is helpful as well. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we recognize that we can, uh, we can behave our way in back into trust Mm -hmm. and we're all human. And so we will all screw up. Um, but we can name it. And we can talk about, you know, the diagnosis. So I think it's better. I do a lot of work with trying to repair trust for co-leaders. And so rather than, uh, you know, me say to my co-leader, I don't trust you. It's more constructive for me to say, I think you have an empathy wobble. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love that. And then they will say, oh, yeah, I was really short on time. Sorry, I was so prickly with you, Um, you know, or whatever that is. And so the word trust has so much weight and baggage to it that it can be maybe incendiary if we use that. But if we go to what the constructive diagnosis is and say, how are we going to behave our way into more solid judgment? What's that going to look like? How can we do that? Um, then we can get back to trust. Yeah. And it helps when you say it that way, it removes some of the, I mean, some of the deeper, heavier emotion, like you said, because trust has this huge weight to it. And so when you talk to someone like, yeah, how can we, you know, our our judgment are not on the same levels right now. Or, you know, like when you say a specific thing, not just, I don't trust you, that almost to me, if you say it such in such plain terms, like I don't trust you, takes so much more to repair that for both people, both parties involved, because yeah, there's just so much weight with it. But it's like, hey, you've been off your game and your empathy lately, you know, like what's going on opens up just a conversation of like, well, you know what? Yes. Okay. I've had all this happening in my life and let me just, I need a minute, please, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. So I really like that approach. That's very valuable. Yeah. And, and it, you know, we, we have so much more success growing when we aren't experiencing judgment, when, Mm -hmm. when we aren't feeling shamed, you know? And so I I think that's really important too, is how do we remove the shame from some of our human behavior? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you, we have frameworks and we can be specific with language, um, we can help others grow and we can grow more ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's more compassionate for the other person and then using self-compassion as well. Yeah. I think those frameworks are so, so helpful to just also set a common language between you and your team and coworkers as well as like, we all agree that we're going to, to, to tackle this communication issue by using these terms that we all understand so that it kind of can remove some of the the shame, vulnerability, the defensiveness, all of that. And just to like, just work towards having these better behaviors. Cause at the end, of the end of the day, we can all either choose to continue operating on the same patterns that we have, or like take a, use these frameworks to pivot and acknowledge that we all have our faults and we want to work towards improving ourselves to, you know, have that self-awareness and to, you know, 
be better leaders, be better teammates, all of that stuff. Um, so it, I think it's just really helpful to have those frameworks, all that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think trust is really probably the most important thing. Um, there 33% of employees do not trust their CEO currently. Wow. 33% do not trust their CEO and 31% do not trust their line manager. Wow. So I think that we need to start there. I think it yeah. begins yeah. with, trust. yeah, things go so much faster. They cost so much less when we have trust on a team. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm bringing back Brene Brown. Hopefully maybe she's listening. <laughs> it's like, she has that, that analogy of the jar of like putting marbles in the jar and those little things that you can do on a daily mm-hmm. basis to fill up that jar. And I think that's a great visual as well. And it's, so it's not just like this one time, okay, now we have trust. Like it's, it's a constant thing and there's opportunities every day to either add to the jar or to remove to the jar. So like, how are you going to choose behaviors that are going to add to someone's jar and vice versa? Absolutely. I love it. Hi, friends. I just want to take a quick moment and thank today's sponsor, Flash Marketing Solutions. Flash Marketing Solutions provides full service website and marketing solutions. They focus on your website so you can focus on your core business. I'll be honest with you, friends. When we first started The Gutsy Truth, the idea of building a website sounded super fun, but quickly became a daunting task. But thanks to Flash Marketing Solutions, they got our website built, freeing up hours of our time to focus on the podcast. If you're ready to be gutsy and need a website for your business or blog or whatever you're hoping to do, we recommend Flash Marketing Solutions. Visit flashmarketingsolutions.com slash gutsy for more information. That's flashmarketingsolutions.com slash gutsy. And right now, all new website clients get the first year of hosting for free. Thank you so much, Flash Marketing Solutions. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to support our mission to empower and inspire people everywhere, we would love for you to consider becoming a Patreon member. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us to continue to create valuable content and build a supportive community for listeners like you who are choosing to live a gutsy life. Visit thegutsytruth.com slash support to learn more. Do you have some like tangible examples or advice of like how leaders can help rebuild trust or build that trust that y'all help with at Work Wisdom? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we do it on a variety of levels. So for an executive coaching, we're teaching individual leaders how to be trustworthy. um, And um, on teams, they learn about many frameworks, even more than what we've talked about today about trust. And so then they have that common language yeah. to Caitlin's, you know, uh, and then they can, they can talk about wobbles and they can talk about all those things. Um, we, with co-leaders, we have a framework that we've developed. I have a background in conflict resolution and mm-hmm. transformative mediation. And so, um, I came up with uh, a four-part, basically a discernment for co-leaders so that they can behave their way back into trust. So essentially, uh, it's starting with stating that we want to improve the relationship. So both parties need to say, I want this to be better. I want this to be better. And sometimes both parties say, I want to get to trust. Um, Sometimes that word isn't really part of the equation. Um, Then the second part is that we list aspired trustworthy behaviors 
Um, so I, I let's say you two <laughs> were having a difficult time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would ha ask um, Abigail, I would say, no, you tell me what are trustworthy behaviors? Um, I, it looks like we glitched. Yeah. Can you all hear me? I can hear you fine, but your um, yeah, your video froze. Oh, okay. As long as our our tech our audio is okay, is that all right? Um, yes. So yes. far, it's good on our end. There you go. Oh, there you go. We can see oh, your oh. video now. <laughs> okay, you're good. Okay. Um. So um. So I'll start with the four part. Mm -hmm. The sure. four part. Okay. Um. Uh, you can tell that I've recorded 82 podcasts myself. Right. Okay, where should we cut? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so, um, so this four part way of repairing trust, the first part is really that both parties need to admit that they want to improve the relationship, um, and that things have happened to erode the relationship. Uh, the second part is that both parties need to list what they believe are aspired trustworthy behaviors. And so this is great on a whiteboard or a chalkboard or a flip chart page. So um, I would say to Caitlin, you know, um, what do you believe are the aspired trustworthy behaviors that you want for your relationship with Abigail uh, on this team? And you would say, you know, let's be on time and let's, you know, prep our, our pre-work or whatever. And so we'd get a few from you. And then I'd say, and Abigail, what are, what do you believe we need in terms of aspired trustworthy behaviors? And so we'd add to that list. And then we'd talk about, is it realistic to live our way into this set of, you know, 10 maybe behaviors? And so we'd parse out if there's anything that we need to like get more clarity on. But then the third part is saying, okay, we're both going to experiment with living according to these 10 behaviors. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the fourth part is to ask each other to uh, lovingly, uh, maybe we don't say that word, word in every organization, but um, gently, uh, compassionately um, steer each other back into these behaviors. So if we stumble, that we're going to gently guide the other party back into these behaviors and say, do you remember, remember number seven that we agreed to? <laughs> Let's talk about number seven, yeah. um, you know, or whatever that is, because it's all there. It's mm -hmm. on the flip chart or it's in the word doc or wherever. Um, so, so that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good, simple, but elegant framework that can be very helpful. Yeah, that's really great. And it makes it tangible than something that you can revert back to as well. You know, not, I always think about like when, when companies do like mission statements or values and it's not like readily seen and talked about on an everyday basis, right? You're just like, yeah, I think there's some words that we all live by somewhere, <laughs> you know, and that you just, they're like kind of theoretical. And so like, yeah, when you can make it more tangible, like you said, then it, it's that daily reminder of this, this is what we want to aspire to be. And this, these are our values and what we want out of, you know, work relationship or, you know, uh, leadership versus employees or board of director versus the whole, you know, the company and all and everything in between. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, every Friday at our uh, checkout meeting at the end of the week, uh, our team goes around and uh, talks about how they lived into one of the values this mm-hmm. week, or how they saw someone else live into one of the values. So, um, so that's always a really great. It's not a very long conversation, but we all yeah. look for them. Then, you know, yeah. so we've got these neural pathways where we're looking for oh. Someone was living into originality, you know, yeah. or somebody was living into compassion. I saw that this week. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, so kind of a question. Um, I wanted to circle back a little bit on the what, like you were saying, the the different cultures that organizations are now moving to today. Um, random question popped in my head. Are employees wanting more of this family style culture? And, and what were the positive, like, has there any been any research about what the actual employees are wanting and then the positives and negatives out of that? Well, it's really interesting. I, I'm glad you ask, um, <laughs> because it's complicated sure. right now. So what we're hearing, so the data is saying that people are reporting that they want relational workplaces. Mm -hmm. So more like that family culture, they want to feel cared for. They want someone to support their well-being, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, So that's what they're reporting. Uh, With their feet, (laughs) they are um, voting uh, with their feet with a different set of priorities. So what uh, people are moving to jobs that have flexibility, number one, um, compensation, number two, and I forget what the third one is. I just read it, but it it wasn't, it doesn't look like family culture. Sure. So it's more voting, voting with their feet to go places where there's more money, mm-hmm. um, regardless of the relationships. Hmm. Um, But flexibility is definitely very high. Mm -hmm. So part of the work of leaders now is to try and figure out, okay, now that we know what people are doing with their feet, um, with their their careers, how do we still lead? How do we still lead well? Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean to care for the well-being of my staff? and to be relational, knowing that uh, people are thinking about jobs in terms of months rather than years. So mm-hmm. the, the amount of time that people are spending in a job is getting shorter and shorter. You know, the whole loyalty myth, that was like my parents' generation. Yeah. Uh, so that social contract is out the window sure. now. So but how, how do we do the right thing? anyhow. So it's a little complicated. Yeah. I hope that, does that make sense? No, it like, totally... yeah, we're hearing this yeah. in the data, but we're seeing this yeah. with behavior. Oh no, I totally get it. And I think, and I, you know, it's just even thinking of my own personal experience over the last, you know, three to five years, um, with obviously the pandemic motion in the middle of that, of yeah, you like, I don't, I, I wouldn't want this to be a number, you know, at a, at an organization, right? Like, you know, just someone churning out widgets all day, every day, and you're just part of the num- the mass number. So it's interesting. Yeah, I th- it's how people are saying one thing but doing another. And I do, I do feel like the pandemic 
has added to that, the, like what they're doing versus saying, because out of the pandemic, I think everyone got to like take a step back and really evaluate how much do I want to be spending my time at work or commuting mm-hmm. back and forth to work. And, you know, and so, yeah, that flexibility and realizing there's more value of life when you're not stuck at work for, you know, let's just say 60 hours once you ter- put in your commute time and everything, let alone the actually hours you're working. Um, mm. Cause that's how I feel, <laughs> feel too, a little bit. Yeah, that was the third one was uh, remote or hybrid work. Mm. That was the third one. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't blame anyone. Mm. I I mean, I believe in work life balance and integration and well being and um, having a measured approach to achievement. Mm -hmm. So, but it's a little complicated because the, the, we actually, I think the best way to approach this is without judgment Mm -hmm. and to say, you know, it's, it's absolutely fine if someone decides to leave after six months or a year, um, if they can go somewhere that they can make more money or have greater flexibility or hybrid work. Um, but knowing that leaders maybe need to change their behavior a little bit Mm -hmm. and change how they set up systems in organizations. Um, because what they're doing is they're pouring themselves into people as if they might stay forever and, you know, become the next CEO and yeah. next gen leaders and all of that. And then there's a uh, transition mm-hmm. and then they feel kind of bad. And yeah. so, so it's complicated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So another question I have with this too, is that, you know, our listeners might all not be the leaders of their organization, right? They might be, you know, middle manager or whatnot, like how does all this apply to someone that's not steering the ship within the organization, but they still are wanting to, you know, establish a culture that's more family kind of focused or build the trust within the team. And, but, but again, at the end of the day, it's not coming from the leader or they're, they're, they're wanting to inspire that change. Like what advice would you give them? Well, I would want them to know that they have a lot of influence, so they don't need to be at the top of the org chart to have power mm-hmm. and be an influence in that culture. So part of why I love culture shaping is it doesn't have to be, you know, that the CEO says this is what we're doing, that you have positive deviance is what they're called in a culture. So people who might be deviating from the past culture mm-hmm. in a positive way, mm. the aspired culture. Think innovation. You know, maybe maybe we weren't too innovative in the past, but there here comes somebody who's throwing stuff at walls and, you know, running flags up flagpoles and acting like they work at Pixar and all of that. <laughs> and they are deviant from the past culture. Um, and so what happens with positive deviance is if uh if it's clear that their behavior is serving them, maybe they're getting having more success, maybe new ideas are being germinated, maybe they're getting attention, um, others will start to bandwagon. Mm-hmm. You know, so culture shaping is a little bit more like uh, a movement, mm-hmm. like civil rights or any kind of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you watch where is their ground swell. So someone who you don't have to be at the top to do that. I think it's wise to understand um, frameworks, of course, mm-hmm. around power mm-hmm. 
and empowerment. Um, and there's, there's definitely a lot that a person can understand um, about how to create groundswell um, so that they can have more success. I think that they would want to learn about referent power. So um, there are these six types of power and um, Raven in French wrote about this a lot in the 1960s. And um, one of the types of power I consider to be the most modern type of power. So you have things like legitimate authority and, you know, reward power and coercive power, but there's referent power. Referent power is power that is just personal power. That is that people respect you. They look to you for good ideas. Um, you have influence just because of your track record, how you're living your life, how you're showing up. Um, so that is referent power. Uh, and I think because of the internet, and a lot of other things that are happening, I think that's the kind of power that Caitlin, the leaders you're talking about right now, they would want to understand that mm -hmm. and learn how to leverage it. Yeah. No, I think that's good to know. Cause like I said, I don't want people <clears throat> who are not necessarily the leaders to feel like they don't have control over shaping the culture within the organization they work for, or maybe they completely love their job, but the culture is a little off for whatever reason. Like you have the ability to, you know, influence change, um, regardless of whether or not you've got a leader who necessarily sees it or is passionate about shaping culture because that's not everyone's expertise. They they might be a leader of an organization because they're an expert in whatever industry, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have the leadership skills or the framework to really build a great culture. And so that's just a little bit of encouragement on, on my end. I want to make sure people realize that this is not just for someone at the top. Yeah. And Caitlin, in addition to that referent power, that person who wants to be the change they wish to see in their organization mm -hmm. um, and think about expert power too. So let's say um, they are interested in creating a culture of greater belonging or inclusivity. Mm -hmm. They can become experts. So they can start talking about things. They can show, um, they can show up with best practices. They can say, this is what the evidence says. Um, and so between expert power and referent power, both of which are personal power, we get we create those. Um, they can do a lot for that culture. So that's that's an excellent point that you made. Yeah. Goodness, I feel like we could go on and on about so many different topics with you because you just have so much knowledge to share with us. And I'm so thankful for everything today. Um, is there any other bits of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners before we start our wrap-up questions? I, I think the only thing I'd like to say is um, I believe that workplaces are becoming new communities. And I think whereas maybe our parents' generations had uh, other kinds of communities like their neighborhood or I don't know, the Elks club or the rotary or mm -hmm. their church or what, wherever social fabric was created. Um, I think that our workplaces need to be that 
now. And mm. so when we talk about trust, um, when we talk about culture shaping, I think bringing greater meaning to it, this is how we connect to each other as human beings. And that's very important. We we have this, you know, epidemic of loneliness in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, uh, depression and anxiety and sadness and workplaces can actually do a lot to ameliorate all of that if they see themselves as as having that purpose. Mm, I think that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> a perfect way to wrap that up. Yeah, I love it. So the last two questions that we have are our favorite questions to ask all of our guests. So the first question is, what is something gutsy that you have done recently and how did it make you feel? Wow. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I feel um, I was very gutsy last week. So I wrote an article that was, uh, well, let's just say that a lot of colleagues in my field have been saying, um, I'm like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and that I dissent. And so, you know, we, We've got a lot of uh, I dissent, you know, callers and things happening right now. So last week I wrote an article and we published it on Work Wisdom Press that was was pretty uh, countercultural. And so um, and then we followed it up with a podcast on the same topic. So it so it was very gutsy um, and uh, it was actually called Selfless Leadership is bad for everyone. Mm. So it had this very provocative, you know, title that gets the hook. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then of course you hate read it <laughs> or you hate it, and you're like, ah, who is this person that would say such a thing? But then you start realizing, oh my goodness, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was the gutsy thing that I did last week. And how did I feel about it? I was afraid. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to do it. And uh, I think I'm still afraid that I did it, but uh-huh. I have got so many phone calls, text messages, emails from people who say, I can't say publicly that I agree with this, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. So um, I-, I think it's been really helpful for a lot of people to hear that message, mm-hmm. even though it's a very unpopular sentiment. Yeah. Hey, and obviously there's people that really resonated with it because of the feedback. And so someone needed to step up and be gutsy and, and share that. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if work wisdom stays in business. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have our support. So there's at least two of us. <laughs> okay. So our final question of the day is what is something that fills your bucket of life that you do? Ah, oh my gosh. Can it be shallow? Sure. Yeah, it could be literally anything. Ah, um, I really love interior design. I really love decorating. You can see my office now. Yes, it's very schmancy. I love it. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I really love to design. And, you know, we actually had a service line called Work Wisdom Design, where after we help you with your culture shaping, once you've understood what your aspired culture is, then we would come in and basically decorate your offices. Oh to my get gosh. Aspired culture. Yeah. That's so so fun. fun. Oh my so gosh. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I know. I know. So um, I, I'm actually on my way to Maryland to speak at this event for the next couple of days. And I should have really been working on all of that. But we're looking at ha- creating a work wisdom retreat house. <gasps> and so all I did yesterday was pick out couches. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. So that's, what I lo- that's what fills my bucket. So oh, we'll see. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see. It's like textiles and, yes. you know, that is so cool. It's hey, a space is so powerful of yeah. how you set it up and decorate it. It can change your mood and everything. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm totally supporting this. Yes. <laughs> we love yeah. it. There's a book actually called Change Your Space, Change Your Culture. Mm. And it's about how how um, you can do that. So uh, yeah, we've got podcasts on that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my Thanks goodness. for letting me talk about my uh, guilty pleasure. Of course. Yeah. That's, that's what we we're all about here is yeah. just sharing what makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kedrin, thank you so much. Um, this has been like a really valuable conversation that we can't wait to share with our listeners and we hope that they love it as much as we have. And then of course, um, you know, re, you know, follow you for more information. So yeah, let me, let me ask that first, where can they find more information about work wisdom, your social, your podcast, that thing? Yeah, um, it's all on the website. So that's workwisdomllc.com. And so we have a YouTube channel, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. We're not on Facebook anymore. Um, Yeah, there's all the things. Uh, things. But you can find it all. And the the Behaviorist podcast is on Spotify and Apple and and all the places. All the places. Perfect. Yeah, we'll, we'll link all that in the show notes too. So people can easily click and find you that way but this has been so great i'm so glad caitlin ran into you and like listened to your (laughs) to your speech i am too i am too it was so nice being here with both of you uh this was a joy Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Gutsy Truth. We are so thankful to have you here with us, and we hope today's episode was helpful and inspiring. Until next time, we encourage you to learn more at thegutsytruth.com, and we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on today's episode on your podcast streaming platform of choice. If you are enjoying the podcast and want to support our mission to empower and inspire people everywhere, we would love for you to consider becoming a Patreon member. By supporting us on Patreon, you are helping us to continue to create valuable content and build a supportive community for listeners like you who are choosing to live a gutsy life. Visit thegutsytruth.com support to learn more. And until next time, that's the gutsy truth. <laughs>